Thank you so much, Taylor, and for all of our praise ministry for leading us uh, to consider the truths of God's goodness and His grace and His power. I, I don't know about you, when I was a kid, I paid very, very little attention to turning off lights, to closing doors, to how much things cost when we went out to eat. My wife is looking at me and saying, I don't know that he's learned that lesson yet. Well, later those things became very important to me when I started paying for them. Yeah, I've learned an interesting axiom in life. People don't appreciate what they don't pay for. Oftentimes it's easy for a college student not to worry about their grades because, well, I can just take the class again. Or, or maybe dropping a class. I, I didn't pay for it, so I don't have to consider that. Basically, if I don't have any skin in the game, then it really doesn't matter that much. It's interesting. If you ask any parent about buying their child something or helping their child to save their own money and let them buy it for themselves, there's a big difference, is there not? You better believe it. I think it's interesting that years ago I found that I would give my daughters money to go to an event of some sorts, and, and I would ask them at the end of the event, when they came back, when I picked them up, do you have any change? Oh, no, I don't have much change. So I started just a little experiment, and I started saying to them, I tell you what, on the front end, whatever you don't spend, you can keep. And they became tightwads really quickly. I mean, they would drink water or they would do without, and they'd come back and they'd have almost the exact same amount of money that I had given them because now it was theirs. There's something interesting about us appreciating things that we pay for. I don't know all about the psychology of those things, but the reality is we do somehow value things more if we've got a little skin in the game. Let me illustrate it this way. If I had a pair of tickets to maybe some major event, maybe it was a play down at the Sanger Theater in New Orleans or to a, a concert or a sporting event. Let's just say I, I'd paid $80 a ticket and I had two tickets. So $160 I'm invested in this, and all of a sudden I find out I can't go. And so I put out a plea on social media, and immediately people start jumping and say, oh, I'd love to have them. How much? And I said, I'm giving them away to the first taker. And somebody immediately says, I want them. I want them. Well, here's the, the truth. You wouldn't lose a whole lot of sleep if you couldn't go, if you didn't use them, if you couldn't use them. But, but somehow I've paid money for them, so I feel like I've got to get some use out of them. I need to get them into the hands of somebody that would use them. But for whatever reason, if you haven't lost anything, you're not out any money, you probably aren't going to be as concerned if you can't go. I, I on the other hand, am going to be very worried. Now, I want you to find your way, if you will, to the Old Testament book of First Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter 21. We're continuing a message uh, that I started last week that we called Right on the Money. And I put in your notes something that I think everybody here needs to hear. Nobody can say that all we preach about here at Hardy Street Baptist Church is money, but we cannot and will not ever ignore the topic because Jesus dealt with it. And the reason that I believe Jesus dealt with it so consistently because it is such a dangerous distraction to a heart of discipleship. 
It, it can draw us away. And so I want us to talk today not about money, but about value. I want us to talk about the value of our God. I want to talk to you about the value of worship. And as we consider these thoughts together, I, I do believe with all of my heart we'll see from this text the very thing that I've mentioned, that people value what they pay for, and they generally don't value that which they don't pay for. When, when we have skin in the game, as it were, we have a heightened interest. It becomes more important to us. Now, I want to say before we read our text, one very simple disclaimer. Worship and church and ministry and missions, they're, they're not commodities that can be purchased. So I'm not saying that at all, but what I am saying is if we have no financial connection to or investment in our church, they'll mean very little to us. It may be because we've minimized their value. And again, people don't really appreciate what they don't pay for. I also say this, this isn't scientific research, it's not some calculated study, it's my own personal experience in 30 years of pastoral ministry. I just want to be as honest as I can. I, I'm approaching my 30th year of, of being in local church ministry, and here's what I've seen. The loudest complaints, well, I, I'll quote Babe Ruth first. Babe Ruth said that the loudest boos come from the cheapest seats. I think Baptist churches sometimes actually validate that statement. The loudest complaints, the biggest complainers, the, the most critical people at times, church members, I'm just being honest, church members who have required the most maintenance and attention have been the least invested. Hello. I know people who have not put in literally enough money to buy a Sunday school book or to pay for the coffee that they drink in small group, and yet they feel like somehow they need to grumble. Now, again, if you're visiting with us today, you say, uh-huh, here we go, we're all about money. No, I'm talking about our hearts. I really want you to hear this because we as a people have said in 2018 we're going to be on a track of growth. We've called this year as a church family a season of growth, and I want us to grow in this mindset said and so I want us to think about this so here's the principle that I want to get to even before we read our text I want to put it on the screen when something costs us nothing we tend to invest the same amount in it when something costs us nothing we seem to or tend to invest the same amount in it now before we read from first chronicles 21 let me give you some context to this passage in the part of the chapter previous to what we're about to read we'll see that King David has sinned against the Lord. He, he did so by taking a census of all of the fighting men of the kingdom. He, he ordered this census, and we are not told exactly why this displeased the Lord, but we know that it did. Perhaps it revealed some pride in David's heart. Look at all of the armies that I have. Maybe it revealed something about his trust in the provision of men and not the power of God. We're not told that, but we do know that God pronounced judgment upon the people because of David's sinfulness, because of these actions. It displeased the Lord, and he pronounced judgment. In God's merciful ways, God gave to David a choice. If you were to look back, we're, we're not going to read these, but in verses 11 and 12, he gives, God, gives David a choice. Three years without food, a famine. Three months of running from his enemies are three days of plagues. David chose the latter. 
David said this in verse 13. Basically, I don't want to put my fate in the hands of the mercy of men. If I'm having to scavenge for food or I'm having to run from enemies, then I'm at the mercy of men. And David said, I don't want to be at the mercy of men. I want to be at the mercy of God. And God was merciful to David. And let me just say here, God is merciful today. Would you agree with that? Are you thankful for that? And we're talking about Thanksgiving. I'm so grateful that God has not given me what I deserve. That's grace. I'm so glad that God deals with us, not uh, with our iniquity in, in such a way that he is just immediately, but he has delayed that justice because of his mercy. Now, make no mistake, he is just. Judgment fell. 70,000 men died in those three days. The hand of the angel of the Lord fell. I, I think it might be a good place for us to pull over for a moment and ask a simple question. Do we really understand anything about the holiness of God? David ordered a census and 70,000 men lost their lives. And David said to Gad, I'm in great distress. Please let me fall to the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. And so God speaks through this prophet Gad and tells David to build an altar. And he sends him to Ornan, a Jebusite. Pick up with me in the text in verse 18. Let's read there together. Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of Gad, which he spoke in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned back and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. And Ornan was threshing wheat. As David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and he went out from the threshing floor, prostrated himself before David with his face to the ground. And then David said to Ornan, give me the sight of this threshing floor that I may build on it an altar to the Lord. For the full price you shall give it to me that the plague may be restrained from the people. Ornan said to David, Take it for yourself, and let my lord the king do what is good in his sight. See, I will give the oxen for burnt offering, and the threshing sledges for wood, and the wheat for grain offering. I will give it all. But King David said to Ornan, No, but I will surely buy it for the full price, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord, or offer a burnt offering that cost me nothing. So David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. Then David built an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And he called to the Lord and he answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offerings. There are many things that we could draw out of this text today, but I want to draw your attention to one phrase there in verse 24. You perhaps have already noticed it. David said, no, I will pay full price for it, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord or offer a burnt offering which costs me, help me out, church, nothing. Let's pray together. Father, would you in this moment Add understanding and application and illumination to your word that your people might hear it, receive it, and obey it. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Ornan was threshing on a threshing floor. Many of you perhaps know exactly what that process is like. You've read it in other places in Scripture. Basically, it is a place to separate grain from the, the husks and then the chaff. And so Ornan is on a threshing floor, and oftentimes it was an elevated structure. And these sledges that are discussed for wood are, are just simply meant to pound the grain or trample the grain and to separate the grain. And then the winnowing forks would be thrown in and and the grain would be thrown into the air and the chaff would blow away. Ornan is there at the threshing floor. And David comes to him and David says, I want to buy this site. And Ornan said, oh, I'll give it all to you. I'll give you the oxen. I'll give you the threshing sledges. You can use those for wood, for an offering, for, for the altar. I'll, I'll give you the grain. You can offer that. And David said, no, no, no. I, I'm going to pay for this. I want to pay. In fact, I'm going to pay full price. I'm not going to negotiate. I'm not going to attempt to negotiate. I mean, David was in the perfect position. Here's the king coming to this Jebusite. And he prostrated himself rightly before David with a sense of fear. But David didn't say, well, I have a sword on my hip and I'm going to negotiate for a better price. No, he, he said, I'm going to pay you full price for it. I'm going to pay you everything that it's worth because there is no sacrifice in it if I don't have skin in the game. There's no sacrifice in it if I've not invested in it. David was saying very simply, if I'm not invested personally, how have I worshipped? If I've not uh, done anything personally to be involved with this, if I don't have an investment, then how have I in any way sacrificed? Ornan, you can't do that. David refused the path of least resistance. He refused the cheapest path. He refused it not because he had so much money that he, he wouldn't miss it, but, but because he valued the Lord. See, I want to write something on your, your notes, but more than that on your heart. And let's put it on the screen. Our giving reflects what we think of God. Our giving reflects what we think of God. If we give God nothing, what we're saying is, God, that's what you're worth to me. I realize and recognize these are hard words, but they're truthful words, and I'm not trying in any way, shape, form, or fashion to be brash or harsh or mean. I'm simply trying to draw our attention to the reality of this truth. If we're not right on the money, as we said last week, if we're not focused in this area of our lives, then we'll be off in so many other areas of our life. And Jesus dealt with it so pointedly because he knew what a distraction it was to the hearts. Our English word worship actually comes from the old English word worth-ship, worth-ship. And it just sort of over time evolved into this word worship. It simply means we're ascribing worth to something. When you worship the Lord, you're saying, Lord, you are worthy of worship. Lord, you are this valuable to me. Lord, you are of this great sense of priority. So when we worship, we're declaring His worth to the Lord. Let me ask you three very simple questions. Everybody draw in close with your attention. Is Jesus worthy? Let the weight of that question fall in our hearts. Is Jesus worthy? 
Pastor, I'm not sure why you're asking that question. I come to church every Sunday. I'm not asking about you coming to church. Is Jesus worthy? Is his worth reflected in our lives? I'm talking about Tuesday morning or Thursday night. I'm talking about social choices on a Friday night. I'm talking about every aspect of our lives. Is Jesus reflected in our lives as worthy of all worship, worthy of all praise, worthy of all adoration? David said, I will not make an offering to the Lord that cost me nothing because of his great worth. Is he worthy? Let me ask you this question. Is the ble- if the blessing of God had a price, how much would it be worth? I mean, you can go to the store and buy practically anything. You can get on Amazon. Some of you might even be shopping this morning. I don't know. Maybe and hopefully you're looking at your Bible on your phone. But you've got your phone out. You're not on Facebook. You could be shopping on Amazon. You can buy pretty much anything that you want around the world. If the blessings of God were a commodity for sale, how much would they be worth? If the kindness of God had a price, what would it be valued at? Let me ask this. If salvation had an actual price, what would you pay for it? Eternal salvation. Jesus Christ shed his blood so we know that the price is infinitely more than any that we could ever muster and gather to pay. We cannot earn or buy salvation. It's only given freely through his gift. But what would the price be? Think back now over the last few months of your life or even this past year. What has your financial giving reflected about what you believe about the Lord? If our giving reflects what we think of God, here's my question. Are you good with your giving? Are you good with your giving? And again, please hear me and my heart. I'm not preaching a message to try to increase giving here to the church. My desire is that God's people would open their hearts in fresh ways to the Lord. And that they would experience blessing. How can we possibly consider that we would, we would receive the blessings of God if we would rob God? If we would not do that which he tells us to do? Giving is such a fundamental part of worship. And the attitude is far more important than the amount. Now, I, I want to do just a little bit of teaching this morning if I can. Is that all right? Like four of you said okay. Everybody else, I'm hoping you're with me. I want to do a little teaching this morning. We're talking about sacrificial giving, and that's a hard place to start. So what I would recommend to you is this, that the track upon which sacrificial giving rolls is systematic giving. Systematic giving. Write that down. If you will begin to consistently give to the work of the Lord, if you'll consistently focus on Him, systematic giving is an incredible Training ground, learning to give regularly and consistently offering to the Lord. Now, I want to give you another word that you need to to hear. The training ground for systematic giving is the tithe. Now, I'm teaching on this because it's important. The word tithe simply means a tenth. It's not just something. It's not just an offering. It literally means one-tenth, ten percent. It is a, a, a concept that was given in the Old Testament law. And many people will argue and say, well, pastor, that's so Old Testament. 
If you're one of those that would argue against tithing because you say it's Old Testament, I, I would say a couple of things. One, anybody that tells me that the Old Testament has no application for our lives has not read the New Testament. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. To complete it. And in fact, in Matthew 23, 23, he is rebuking Pharisees and he says to them, they're trying to nitpick with their tithe. And he said, you should do that and weightier matters of love. And, and you should do both. So Jesus actually pointed to the tithe. Now, we could argue all day long the tithe preceded the law. Abraham offered a tithe to Melchizedek, the priest of God Most High. You can, you can look all throughout Scripture. Jacob offered a tithe. It, it preceded the law. It's beyond the law. It's a principle of first fruits. And I think it's a healthy one, and here's why. When God said to us that we needed to offer to him of our first and our best, it's a reminder that everything we have belongs to him. In fact, the psalmist said it this way, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it are His. So God owns it all. Now, as you think about this idea of a tithe and God giving this principle of first fruits, I want you to hear this. It's been my experience that those who argue against the tithe because they say it's an Old Testament deal are almost always arguing to give less than, not more than the tithe. So let me just on a philosophical argument suggest this. Which is better, the law or grace? <laughs> grace. Don't we believe that? If we believe that, then how can I as a Christian give less to the Lord under grace than the Jews would have given compulsorily, by the way, under the law? Under compulsion, they would say, I'm going to give, and, and under the order of the tithe and the law, I'm under grace. I want to give God the very best. And in fact, if you really want to argue with me about New Testament versus Old Testament giving, there's one example of New Testament giving that Jesus praised, and it was a widow who gave everything that she had. So if you want to be a New Testament giver, there you go. But as we consider this idea, here's what I want you to see. The, the beauty of this is that grace does far ex exceed the law, but God, who desires for us to give Him his, our heart, has done something beautiful through the tithe. One beautiful thing about tithing is that it's fair. It's fair. It puts everybody on level ground. 10% of $1, 10% of $100, 10% of $10,000. It doesn't matter. Those gifts are the same. It doesn't matter if you make a lot or a little, we're all on level ground. Now, some of you would say, I tithe, but not with money. I tithe with my time. I tithe with my service. I want to say right off the bat, thank you for your service to the Lord and to the church. I am so grateful for the time that you give. I really, really am. And, and I've thought about instituting this. I'm going to share it with the staff. We're going to put a new complaint box in front of the office, and if you've got something to complain about, if you'll put that in there, we will read it, we will record it, we will pray about it, and it will become a volunteer application form. I am so excited that you would want to apply for a new area of service. So if you want to, you just put it right in there, all right? I know that's a little tongue-in-cheek. In the Bible, tithing had to do with more tangible goods. It wasn't about your time. It wasn't about your service. 
The, the prophet Malachi said, bring your whole tithe to the storehouse. And in that Old Testament model, they were to bring the tithe to the temple. And it met the needs of the temple. It was often in that agricultural environment, it, it was something that would feed the priests and the Levites. It would take care of the work of the temple. In, in olden days, I have pastor friends who got paid in chickens. I, I know they, they've understood that. My very first church, we got paid in vegetables, just about. I, they, they kept our freezer full. Now, as you think about this idea, though, of the tithe, I, I want to just walk a little bit farther through this for just a moment. You see, it's critical for us to remind ourselves that everything belongs to the Lord. And, and we're supposed to give cheerfully. In fact, the Bible says, Paul said these words, that God loves a what? A cheerful giver. The word cheerful there is the word that we get hilarious from. I mean, can you just imagine our offering time coming to this point where it would be a laughing time where people were so overjoyed with giving that it made them laugh? Can you just imagine that kind of an offering time? I can't, but it'd sure be fun. Think about it. Have you ever blessed somebody anonymously? Have you ever paid for somebody's coffee behind you or a meal at a table or, or done something and you just kind of chuckled about it? You just said, they're never going to find out. They'll, they'll never know. And there's a joy about giving. This is audience participation time. You ever experienced that? Yes. I, I think many of us have. And when you give that way, that's the hard attitude. I, I would say this. You come to the offering time of worship service here at Hardy Street. If you can't give without it ticking you off, then don't give. Keep it. I mean it. Give with the right heart attitude. The attitude, not the amount, is what matters. And I want God's blessings on this church. And I'm not saying that we pay for the blessings of God, but we can obey the Lord and experience His fullness. You know, God's not saying when He requires of us a tithe, give me 10% of your money. Why? Because it's not your money. It's not mine. He's saying... Give me back a portion of my money, and I will allow you to keep the other 90% to meet your needs. That, that's a, a radically different mindset. Let's just suppose that Scott Pittman had some power tool, maybe a chainsaw, and it was a pride. He loved his chainsaw, but he didn't have room to store his chainsaw at his house. And he called me and he said, hey, pastor, would you keep my chainsaw at your house? Sure. Well, I, and I want you to, to know that you can use it if you'd like to use my chainsaw. Well, thank you, Scott. That's very generous of you. And, and so I recognize that it's his, not mine. And I'm just storing it. And at any time, if he wants it back, he can come get it because it's his. Now, I, I'm going to take him up on his offer. I've got a tree I need to cut down, so I'm going to crank it and cut that tree down and I'm going to clean it up and try to take care of it and be wise with it. But when Scott comes, the day comes and he sends me a text, hey Scott, I've got a tree that I need to cut. I'm on my way to your house to get my chainsaw. No, no, wait, you're, you're, you're here to get what? Whose chainsaw are you coming to get? The chainsaw that's been at my house for the last 12 months? The chainsaw that I most recently filled up with gas? The chainsaw that I've cleaned up? The chainsaw that I've been taking care of, I mean, it's taking up storage space in my house. Uh, yes, God, that's the one. Oh, and he comes to get it. There's not going to be a tug of war over this chainsaw. I'm going to say, Scott, here's your saw. Thank you. Right? Thank you. 
That, that seems such a, a, a simple principle in human terms, and yet we treat God in some way like, God, I'm taking this, I'm keeping it, and it's His. The earth is the Lord and everything in it. Now, my, my heart in this is that he, He's saying very simply, God doesn't need us to give back to Him. We need that. It's not for His benefit. It's for our benefit. We learn the lesson of stewardship when we systematically give, when we faithfully give, when we regularly give. I've got to tell you this, from the earliest days of our marriage, and I'm not trying to put us on a pedestal, but we determined we were going to tithe. We were going to honor the Lord. We would give offerings to missions, and we would do all that we could above and beyond the tithe, but we would consistently give. And I promise you, there were early, early days on when we dug through the couch to find change to put gas in the car. Anybody ever been there? Early days, love, love don't pay the bills. We were, we were in love, but we were broke. But the first check that we wrote went to the Lord. And he's blessed it. And it's not financial blessing. It's just a sense of this relationship. God, you own it all. And you've been so good to give us anything that we just simply want to honor you. That's all I'm talking about. And if we don't get right on the money, then about the money, we won't be right on the money about anything else. Let me give you just a couple very quick foundational truths before we go. God already owns it, so why should we sweat it? God, this is yours. I want to be faithful in managing what you've allowed me to manage of yours. And secondly, and it's a very pointed question, how can we call Jesus Lord if we don't trust and acknowledge his lordship over our finances? God, I want you to save my soul. Keep me for all eternity. Give to me eternal life, but I don't trust you with my checkbook. That took me straight this week in my study to Luke chapter 6. Jesus asked a very pointed question, and I believe he reaches through the ages and asks every one of us the same question with his Holy Spirit's probing. Why do you call me Lord? And do not do that which I tell you to do. How can we say he's the Lord of everything? Just not my finances. Jesus needs to be Lord of all if he's to be Lord at all. And my desire is that we would deepen in this understanding. Now, again, the tithe puts us on a, a place that's a track, a training ground, if you will, for systematic, regular giving. And systematic, regular, consistent giving leads to sacrificial giving that leads to hilarious giving. It live, leads to joy-filled giving. When we begin to live in such a way that we can bless others, and I want to take just a moment. I, I realize that that's not the starting place, but I love this quote by Zig Ziglar. It's at the very end of your notes, and, and I want to skip over to it if we can just very quickly. It says this, sometimes the smallest step in the right direction ends up being the biggest step of your life. Tiptoe if you must, but take the step. Some of us today in North America are so deep in debt that we couldn't serve the Lord financially if we longed to. You need to run from that. 
here at our church, we have a stewardship ministry, and I, I really want to plug this. This isn't any kind of infomercial. This is discipleship. Brian Robinson is leading us in Financial Peace University. The very next class starts in April, April the 25th. We did that in conjunction with Easter because all the guests that we will invite, we will encourage. The average family that goes through this class eliminates a ton of debt, puts money in the bank, and finds clear perspective on how to do money right, how to deal with money God's way, how to honor the Lord and find themselves in a place of financial freedom. So I want to encourage you to do that. We'll have sign-up sheets starting next Sunday on Palm Sunday. We want you to be a part. This is for families. Our college students are going to be going through it. We have made that investment in them. We want them to. We want the next generation to win, not just with money, but to win in their stewardship and in their discipleship with the Lord. I'm telling you, church, if we don't get this one right, we'll miss everything else. Because I just hear the echo of the words of the Lord. How and why do you call me Lord? And do not obey me. How do you call me Lord? Why do you call me Lord? And do not do the things which I'm telling you to do. I'm simply saying we as a church family need to come to this place of saying we need to get right on the money. Amen? Again, I don't preach this all the time. Can you give testimony to that? I believe you can. This is two sermons this year. Last week and this week. And we did two last year. We'll do two next year. About this time of the year, every year, I'm going to focus our minds here again because it becomes so easy for us to look at the things of this world. Let me give you one last thought. Our, our giving, money, reflects our values. It reflects our values. Look back over the last year and see how much you spent on whatever it is that you might consider to be valuable. And as you look at those various things, your money is an indicator. How much do you value the gospel? How much do you value Christ's mission? How much do you value God's church? How much do you value stuff? How much do you value the approval of man or the approval of God? How much do we value this world or the next? It, again, I'm not trying to be brash, but I want to just make a very simple statement. If you value the Lord this morning, don't attempt to give the Lord worship that costs you nothing. We must first give ourselves to the Lord. Yeah, the Macedonians did that in the New Testament. Paul bragged on them. He said that they were living in poverty, but yet they gathered together funds to support the work of ministry ongoing. And he said, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. The greatest appeal that I could make today is the appeal that I'm making to everyone. Give your heart to Jesus. If you've never placed your faith in Him, if you've never turned from self and from sin and turned to Him by faith, today you can do so. And I want to encourage you to. And if you have wandered off that path of trusting Him and valuing Him today, I want you fresh and new to give your heart to Jesus. This message it's not about money. It's about your heart. And it's about the worth of our God. Is Jesus worthy? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time and for this morning. We pray that you would take these words and, and that you truly would brand them on our hearts. We would recognize your infinite worth and that we would give joyfully. 
that we would give with hilarity in our hearts, knowing that we will be a blessing to someone else. God, you've given so much, and you require so little of our money, but you require our hearts. And so, God, I pray that we would give them today. In Jesus' name, amen.